Welcome to Engage Your World, where we help you know, share, and grow in your faith. As we've been discussing in the last few episodes, the importance of sharing the gospel. We're using the acronym gospel to learn from the apostles, Peter and Paul. We're picking up in chapter four of Acts today. Matt, thanks for joining us as we think about extending this message of sharing your faith. What do we see in the beginning stages of chapter four of the gospel? Well, this is going to be an interesting one for those who have listened to what we covered in Acts chapter two and then Acts chapter three, because what's interesting about what we're going to talk about here in Acts chapter four, which is our topic for the day or our section of scripture for the day, is actually an extension of the events from Acts chapter three. So Peter and John had healed this man in Solomon's portico, and now word has spread. So the word is out that these guys did this, and the people are saying, how is it How is it that this can be done? Well, they had made very clear. They were doing it through the power of Jesus, proclaiming he was the Messiah. So word gets out to the religious leaders, and they don't like that this is happening. And so they've got to figure out how do they put a damper on this. So not only are we getting a very different audience when we look at what we're going to cover here in chapter four, but we also have a context carrying over from Acts chapter three. So that's going to make it fun. What we dive into today as we look at our gospel acronym, just in case this is your first time listening, I want to cover this to get, so you're not uh, completely in the dark what we mean by that. When we look at not the method of sharing the gospel not the set of Bible verses that explain the gospel, but when we look at the approach of the apostles in the New Testament, what we have come away with as a ministry is that there is an overall approach and framework which is used repeatedly throughout the New Testament. And we broke that down into an acronym that spells out gospel. So G, gauge your audience. O, offer common ground. S, shift to Christianity and the gospel. P, provide evidence. E, explain the gospel. And L, leave with a clear next step. So with that as our intro, let's dive into Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 22, and then we'll have our interactive study. Glad to have you guys with us. Ibrahim, if you would kick us off and read through Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Sure thing. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders, scribes, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, <laughs> you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. All right. Wow. Wow. So we have a lot to cover there. Uh, just a fascinating interaction here. So let's begin to look at it um, and apply our gospel framework and see what we find. So the audience, gauge your audience, G, gauge your audience. This This is interesting because... Uh, we have our first shift where these are not as much your common average uh, uh, Jewish believer, but uh, this is uh, the elite. Uh, these are the religious leaders. Uh, and, and Ibrahim, when we were talking before, you had pointed this out, this, this kind of distinction in who's hearing this time uh, from Peter and John. One of the important things I saw as I was reading through this passage, it starts at verse 5. It talks about the type of people that were there. Elders scribes, rulers, Annas. He was a high priest and father-in-law of Caiaphas. And then Caiaphas was the then high priest. And then Alexander, who was he? Uh, a relative of Annas. So you had some big wigs up in here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are, these are the big dogs. This is, uh, this is pretty serious. So it wasn't just you know, that, what's interesting is that they witness to different people or they exchange with different people, different ranks, life status, etc. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so the gospel, the way we approach people, it's never going to be a one-size-fits-all approach, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah. we think that's a mistake. Yep. If you have a one-size-fits-all approach, it's going to work when it works, and it's definitely not when it doesn't. And uh, we want to be more nimble. We want to be more intentional. We want to be more faithful to the people God has put in front of us. And that means we've got to be prepared to address different kinds of audiences. We may not always know what to say best to different kinds of audiences, but making that recognition that if they are coming from a different background, different experiences, different beliefs, it's going to take a little bit different approach. And just trusting God to help guide you through that, being intentional and thoughtful and how you understand who they are, meet them on common ground. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a good good point to draw out. Another element we thought about is the fact that we didn't bring this up, but these people were annoyed. <laughs> yes. So you had Sadducees, yeah. priests, you had the captain of the temple, I mean, military right. people. A whole host of people were annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus' name the resurrection from the dead. 
Right. Well, and it's funny, you know, that contrast from Acts 3, these people saw what they did and they were astounded and they're thinking, okay, how is it, how is it that this can happen? And, and they're ready to believe, you know, Peter preaches the message and then they believe. Um, And we hear even more, it seems like came to believe. Uh, And this ends up being part of the problem and why the religious leaders are so upset. But the religious leaders are not excited. They're frustrated. They're thinking, okay, what? This is a problem. We have to squash this out. Now, we also should keep in mind, there could be some element of good. I I think, I'm not going to say strongly one way or another, but if Jesus is a fraud, if he is not who he claims to be, they would be right to want to squash it out. Think about Paul. In the beginning, when he's trying to crush Christianity and stop the spread of it, He's doing so for the right reasons in his head, that this is a blaspheme. Uh, They're blaspheming. They're claiming Jesus had equality with God. They're claiming that he is the Messiah when he's not. They're they're making all these false claims, and so it's a big deal. And for the for out of a good motivation, you can want to squash it out. Now, God shows these people over and over again. No, it's it's real. It's true. It actually happened. Um, But that's an important thing to point out. They. They were annoyed. They may have had ill motive, but some of them may have had good motive and they're just confused and ignorant. And so now God is giving Peter and John an opportunity to set things straight. And so as we think about the acronym and we think about, okay, offering common ground, shifting to Christianity and the gospel, providing evidence and explaining the gospel, they sort of begin to do all of this together. And so the real issue here. Ibrahim, I think you had brought this up previously, that they're asking, by what power, what name do you do this? How, by what authority is really what, I, what I'm reading there? By what authority are you doing these things? Because you're not a religious leader. You're not in the temple. You're not a priest. You're not, who, who are you to be doing this? You know, and there might be a little bit of an audacity with, you know, how, why is it that we're not doing this? Why is it that you, a common person, could be doing this or claiming that you have the right to do this? Who did you learn from? Who, what, what authority? And I see a lot of parallels to what Jesus showed us in the Gospels, where if you read through and look for this, time and time again, you will see Jesus dealing with the issue of authority and showing he had authority over certain things that only God had authority over. Um, you think about times where the people marveled because Jesus taught with such authority. Well, that same concept is now being passed on to the apostles. And though they deny, they don't say we're doing this of our own power. They point to Jesus. That issue of authority is still what's at stake here and what they're being pressured on. And so they sort of use that as this common ground and to make the shift of saying, look, if we're being examined for this thing that's been done and you're asking how is it that we have the power the authority to perform a healing like this it's not our own power and authority it's the authority of Jesus and that's the name and the power by which this man has been healed uh, so really important to point out there anything uh, else that jumps out to you thinking about that common ground and how they shift and bring Jesus back into it. They're going to show that Jesus does have the authority that he claims in virtue of the fact that God raised them up. It's this repeated theme. It's almost a 
repeat of chapter three, the same message, you killed him, God raised him up. The contrast is there again between their power and God's power. They almost looked at it like, what nerve have you, you know, for preaching the gospel right. or what have you. Jesus, the fact that he's risen, I mean, <laughs> it should speak for itself. It's almost sort of a slap in the face, if you will, but Peter is, is basically saying, this man stands before you, you know, focus on that healing. The healing was incontrovertible. So they didn't have anything to say in response to right. that. All they could say is it really happened, but we're annoyed. Right, right. But no, we don't like it. And there are a lot of annoyed people out. I was witnessing to someone one day and he, he stuck his hand out like a stiff arm. You know how in football, <laughs> <laughs> this guy, he stuck his hand out like he was stiff arming me and kept like walking the other way. You know, it was crazy. Can you picture that in your mind? Oh man, I can, I can only imagine. We were at a bus depot, the city bus, you know, where I lived in. We used to ride the bus and it was just our normal mode of transportation. So you see a whole bunch of different people. And I saw an old friend, went to elementary school with him and started talking to him, catching up a little bit. And naturally the gospel came up. It was just something that was, it was natural for me to talk about that. And it wasn't awkward. He just didn't want to hear it. He was just like, he put that hand out and he, <laughs> he went the other way. I was like, oh my gosh. Talk to the hand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what they're, what they're saying. That's hilarious. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, sort of what the religious leaders here are doing. They're just saying like, no, this, this, this can't be happening. We see it happening, but it can't be happening and it's unacceptable and you're going to stop. Um, and Peter I think kind of as we think of the provide evidence and explain the gospel, I think he kind of combines those together in saying, let it be known to all of you, all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So here, I think he's making an appeal. Maybe this is a common ground element. He's referring to Old Testament prophecy that there is this one who is going to be the cornerstone, but that he would be a stumbling block. And Jesus talked about this, how there was going to be a stumbling block that would be a problem. And Paul picks up on this theme, and it's this common thing, but they also this cornerstone theme, which they also are going to be familiar with. And man, Peter just drives it home. You rejected, he became the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no, and this is in uh, verse uh, 11 and 12. I wanted to say right there at verse 11 and 12, he shifts to the gospel at 12. That's a clear shift. And there is neither, there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So he gives, he demonstrates the credibility of Jesus in virtue of the fact that this man was healed through the power of Christ. And then he says, there is salvation and no other. So even though they said, well, who do you think you are? Or, you know, what nerve have you doing this? <laughs> you, you can't be doing this. Peter already shows almost as if he's showing them up. Yeah. Remember when the prophets of Baal had mm -hmm. a contest with uh, Elijah, right. right? And the right. God of Elijah. And, and you know that scenario. But anyway, right. it's almost like there's a contest going on. Who's, who has more authority in this situation? And clearly right. Jesus comes out on top. 
Right, right. Yeah, well, and it's kind of, you know, if you think of it, we could go down that road a little further. And so you could think of it as, you know, they're saying, hey, you, you can't do this. You know, you don't have the authority to do this. And, you know, you could sort of think of a snarky remark Peter could have made of, uh, when's the last time you guys healed a paralyzed guy? You know, uh, when did, when, who's the last cripple that you raised up? You know, but he doesn't. Instead, he does what is the consistent pattern we want you guys who are listening to pick up on, which is point to Jesus. You are the ambassador. You are the messenger, but it's about Jesus. It's not about you. Peter doesn't make it about him, even when he has performed this miraculous deed. Instead, he points to the authority of Christ. And that's what we need to be pointing to. May I interrupt as well? Uh, we're shifting to the gospel. Uh, one of the things I talk about, or I, I consider that is an important principle to reiterate or to mention, is that it's not up to us to save someone. Peter and John, or whomever, they could not have healed anyone in their own power. On their own. Nor could right. they have saved anyone. So that's an important point. I think oftentimes people think that the way we say it is what saves people. <laughs> right, yeah. That can make us prideful or that can make us afraid. If we don't say it a certain way, they won't get saved. Or if we say it a certain way, they will get saved. And therefore, <laughs> right. I get credit. So in either case, we're flawed. Exactly. This is not a magic, a set of magic words that miraculously make some, some, you know, the Holy Spirit is out there hovering around. And when he hears the right incantation set of words that all of a sudden, wham, here he comes and zaps someone. No, it's about the truth. And it's about what actually happened. And it's about the need that people have, how we help any given individual understand that need explain what Christianity is and offer them that gift of salvation, it's going to be more effective, seemingly, if we do it in a way that makes sense to that person. So our job, I think, is to just be faithful to show that we care, point to who Jesus and who he is, and explain why it makes sense for them. But we have to know a little bit about them to do so. And so, yeah, this is not some magic formula where if you get the right set of verses or the right set of words, it's going to happen every time. That's not how it works. We don't see that formula in the New Testament anywhere. We see them consistently approaching the individuals as individuals or the group as a group, meeting them where they are in the common ground, shifting providing the evidence as to why it's true, it's a legitimate question for someone to ask, but why Jesus? Why not some other religious guru? Here's another point. In verse 17, we're skipping a little bit, but I'm going to go back to 13 after that. But 17, it says, <laughs> well, 16 says, we cannot deny it. This notable sign has been performed through them. That's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So this was a widespread event widespread awareness of what had happened to right. this person. And they said, we cannot deny it. So you could explain the gospel to someone, or you could deal with their questions or what have you, and they could be convinced of its truth. But that doesn't mean they're going to respond positively. So that's an important, is, is right there in the text. They don't even, they still don't like him. They said, right. just right. so we can prevent them from spreading the gospel any further. Let us warn them. Let us threaten them. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so that's just important. I, I mean, I, 
I was witnessing one time to someone in Chicago on the south side. There are certain places you just don't go. But anyway, we were witnessing several of us, <laughs> and a guy pulled a gun on me, you know. I wasn't being mean. Oh he goodness. was just, he thought we were trying to wow. do something to him. Found out he was a little tipsy. He was a little, had a little alcohol okay. in him. But anyway, watch out <laughs> when you're witnessing, yeah. right? <laughs> That'll encourage everyone to head out. No, uh, That's why we emphasize the first place you start is your everyday life. And for most of us, everyday life is not going to involve uh, getting a gun pulled on us. Though some people it might, you know. That's right. And uh, being faithful even in that circumstance, you know, trusting God. Um, and that's what can happen when you do have God on your side. You know, you can have confidence even in that. Uh, it's not unlike what some of these guys faced uh, in the New Testament of the apostles. There were times where they were threatened with their lives. There was a, another important point we wanted to encourage people with, and that is in verse 13. It says, When the people saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, when the King James it says unlearned and ignorant, <laughs> and we talked about how people right. construe Christianity as unlearned and ignorant. You have to be unlearned and ignorant to be a Christian or to, to present the gospel, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so some are going to say that. Like, so, so there can be two, there's two edges of this. One is there can be uh, something within Christianity where there's a mentality of it's bad to be educated. It's bad to be uh, intelligent. In fact, it's better to be uneducated and foolish or, or, or ignorant or whatever they might want to say. Well, I think that's taking it too far. Uh, I don't think what the New Testament is setting forth is the paradigm is try to be as uneducated and unintelligent as possible, and then God will do it. But that in spite of those things, God can use you because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about the message of the gospel. And what is, I think, even more powerful is God can use you, your background, your understanding, your training, uh, your life experiences to be able to effectively reach different kinds of people. We're one body, but many members, many different gifts. And so that's something to keep in mind is God can use you whoever you are. Now, there might be certain people that it's more effective for someone else to reach. If you have more education, if you have higher IQ, there may be people that you're more effective at reaching because of that. But if you are very tender, uh, if you have a good way to connect with people emotionally, if you've been through difficult things in life, there may be a whole nother set of people that you're more effective to reach. So don't think that, that an effective witness means you look exactly a certain way. Instead, I think the picture we get biblically is how can you be the most faithful and effective person God has made you to be? You don't have to be someone else. Be a faithful version of yourself. May I interject? Yeah. Also, this speaks to the point of explaining the gospel because they may have been perceived as or may legitimately have been less educated than others. But that didn't mean they couldn't share the truth of the gospel. That's the encouraging part. Whether we're well-educated or otherwise, we can still share what we know about Christ, and that will be sufficient because it's in the hand of the Lord. 
not in our doing. As then they said, they recognized they had been with Jesus. What they said was enough to convince them that they had been with Jesus. It was an authentic testimony, even if it was unlearned and uneducated, right? Exactly. Yep, absolutely. Even if it were, I and, should say. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's exactly the case. And that element of they had been with Jesus, there was something more to these guys. They shouldn't have been capable of this. There's something more going on here. And they're saying yes. And so maybe this is kind of our L. The L is a little bit less clear in this one. And as we've said, this is a general framework and approach. It's not that every single element of these is always going to be in every single interaction and they have to happen in this exact order. These are the general things that you're going to find. But maybe it's a little bit less direct because of what's happening. But I'd say we could still see how they do leave with something when they're being challenged not to speak. I think they p- sort of turn it back on this council and say, what would you do in our shoes? <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase. Would you listen to God or to someone else? So we can't, do, we can't do anything other than speak about what we have seen and heard. Now they know these guys are wrestling over what to do because they saw or heard about the miraculous healing of this man in Solomon's portico. So they're saying, well, if you've seen and heard these things, what else could you do but proclaim it? So even though they further threaten them, they, they continue to say, we're going to preach this. And so what I think they're, the, the, the opportunity they're giving this religious council is to say, in a very respectful way, we can't do otherwise because this is actually true. And if it is actually true, think about the implications. What are the implications? Well, the implication for us is, we're going to continue to go and preach this message of what we've seen and heard, and we can't do otherwise. So you do what's right for you before God, and we're going to do what's right for us before God. But of course, loaded in that is what is right for this, the religious council to do before God is the same thing that it's right for all these other thousands of people who believed uh, because of this healing to do. And so maybe we'll close it there for this time. But uh, any final comments, Ibrahim, before we wrap up for today? Well, it was just encouraging when I, uh, again, I read here in verse 14 where it says, they had nothing to say in opposition. So the gospel was clearly communicated. The sign that was performed was sufficient to establish the authenticity of the messenger or the message that was coming. And it was left in God's hands because they had nothing to say. They were fully convinced of the truth of the particular incident that happened, but the rest was left up to God. That's encouraging to me as I go out and witness to people. If it were up to me, I'd lose each time. You know, there's too many barriers, you know, when you're talking with people sometimes or distracted or what have you. But when it's left up to God, that should be encouraging because you know all the cards are not in your hand. That's right. Yeah. Your approach doesn't have to be highly intelligent. It doesn't have to be highly educated, but what it can be, no matter who you are, is wise. And that's what we see. We see wisdom in this approach. And I would encourage all of you to continue to read the rest of chapter four and see that this incident actually then encourages and emboldens the Christians even more. And now they say, okay, wow, God is with us even when we go before the council. And so they actually get more bold and are more prepared to go out and 
recognize that they might be facing some significant hardship, so they pray for God. Uh, So I'd encourage you to go read the rest of chapter 4, and uh, we look forward to being with you guys again here soon as we continue through the book of Acts and looking at the evangelistic encounters that the apostles had and what can we learn from them and applying our gospel paradigm, uh, which has been drawn from the text of Acts itself. So thanks again for joining us, Ibrahim. Appreciate you leading us as always. Uh, This is a fun time. Hope that everyone else is enjoying it as much as we do. You've been listening to Engage Your World, where we help you know, share, and grow in your faith. 